2: Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor, and if you've ever been tempted to side hustle, to gig, or to become a full-on solopreneur, then today's episode is for you. Today, I speak to QDT's own money girl, Laura Adams, about all things finance, insurance, productivity, and purpose in starting up your own gig. Laura Adams is one of the nation's leading personal finance and small business authorities. She's the host of QDT's Money Girl podcast, and she's written multiple books, The latest one is called Money Smart Solopreneur, A Personal Finance System for Freelancers, Entrepreneurs, and Side Hustlers. Okay, let's get to my conversation with Laura. So Laura Adams, host of QDT's own Money Girl podcast and author of Money Smart Solopreneur, a Personal Finance System for Freelancers, Entrepreneurs, and Side Hustlers. Welcome to the Modern Mentor podcast. Rachel, thank you so much. I am so excited to be with you. Ah, the excitement is mine. I will tell you, you know, six years into my business, I just got my hands on your book. And man, I wish I had had this when I was just getting started. I didn't know if I was a freelancer, an entrepreneur or a side hustler. And I certainly didn't know where to start. There's so many scary things out there, right?
3: It is a, a scary world, I think, for new business owners. There's a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. But the reality is that it doesn't have to be scary. We can make it pretty simple. And I think that's what the, the purpose of the book is. With Money Smart Solopreneur, I kind of took a bunch of questions that I have received from people over the years about creating a business and tried to put them on a good path, sort of starting from the very beginning. You know, what do you need to know about getting up and running if you're just a one person solopreneur or maybe you're thinking about you know doing something a little bit more substantial and hiring employees or whether you have really big dreams and you want to build you know something something major you know it all starts the same way
2: i love how you started describing your journey with this book as you just started with answering questions that people have been bringing to you and i think it's so interesting because your your world of expertise is in money and finance, and my world of expertise is in workplace success. And when people are thinking about going out on their own, it's really where my world and yours marry up. And I think it's that intersection of understanding both how do you know when it's time and when is it safe and, and what skills you need, and then what do you need to do to get ready financially and to plan effectively. And so I would love to start there because in the spirit of questions, you know, at this moment right now, we are 18 months into the COVID pandemic. We are in the midst of something that is being called the great resignation. Uh, People are, they're kind of done with their full-time jobs. They're kind of getting fried. And I'm hearing from people all over the place, whether it's a a big dream, I'm going to go fundraise and build this big thing, or I want to start a gentle side hustle just to see if I can make it happen. But every one of those people is also like, but I'm really scared and I don't know where to start. And so maybe we can start, if I'm honest, I hear more often from the, I think I want to start a side hustle or just some some projects on the side. Um, let's start with those people and think about if you are somebody with a dream of earning your own income, right? Not having to be somebody else's employee. What are some of the earliest pieces of advice you'd give them, Laura, in terms of, Here's how you can feel ready and feel relatively safe putting a toe in that pool.
3: Well the beauty of starting something on the side is that you don't have a ton of financial risk you know assuming that you're not investing a lot upfront to get started with the side hustle For a lot of people, the side hustle is the answer to earning more income so they can invest more for retirement or pay down debt, send a kid to college that kind of thing so, you know, I would say if you're interested in getting started, that's really kind of the ideal way because you've got the security of a day job with perhaps all of your same benefits in place, but then you've got extra income that you can either choose to invest back in the side business or to use just for your personal finances. So I would say maybe the first place to begin is really setting your priorities, kind of figuring out what do you want to achieve? And if it is just earning more income, kind of creating a little bit of a priority list on where should that go? So I would say looking at your goals, looking at your financial foundation, you know, and where you might need to shore things up a bit would be a really great place to start. Since you're going to be having extra income coming in, hopefully with this side hustle, you want to make sure that you're using it to strengthen your your overall financial wellness.
2: That definitely feels comforting. You know, for myself, I I didn't start with the side hustle. I kind of dove right in. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing in the moment, but it's where I am now. But I do give people that advice that if if you're uncertain, if your level of anxiety is high, if your tolerance for risk is low, I think a side hustle is a fabulous place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And I am curious, so the title of your book references freelancers, entrepreneurs, and side hustlers. And I'm curious, how different are those three terms in your mind as you think about it from a financial perspective?
3: That's a great question. And I included those in the title because I do think people tend to segment themselves into these different categories. And we, we hear a lot of these terms used interchangeably. We used, you know, a small business owner and, uh, you know, entrepreneur. We 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 just kind of use these terms interchangeably. And so, in one of the first chapters of the book, I go through and define what I think all of these terms mean. But basically, a solopreneur is someone who is working alone. They are using, let's say, other contractors, other perhaps even other solopreneurs for things like bookkeeping, maybe some marketing or PR, uh, just various types of perhaps computer work, design. So the solopreneur, you know, may be using other people, but not as a typical employee. They're not uh, paying them a W-2 salary or wage. So, you know, thinking about a small business owner, that's typically somebody who would have maybe a few employees on their books. And, you know, a side hustler is typically someone who is doing work in addition to a day job. And it's likely something that they're doing part time. Um, it could be even something related to the sharing economy. You know, it could be something where they're doing, uh, ride shares or deliveries. I don't want people to really get too hung up on the, the lingo and the terminology. When it comes down to it, if you are earning your own income, versus getting a salary or wages from a W-2 employer, you own a business, you have business income. And that means that you are subject to some different rules and regulations that the IRS is going to impose on you because they want to get their share of your taxable income as a business owner. And so the rules change a little bit. And that's one of the areas that I think does confuse new small business people the most. They maybe are not prepared for the taxes that they're going to owe after the first year in business.
2: I can't imagine what you mean, Laura. No no surprises on this end six years ago. <laughs> um, it is. It's, it's interesting when you dive in because I think I think the scariest thing about jumping into any of these, whether you want to go drive for Uber or open your own restaurant, you don't know what you don't know. And so for me, at least, you know, I had the intention of thinking through everything and asking all the right questions, but I didn't know what questions I wasn't thinking to ask. And so that can be A little bit intimidating. And I'm curious, given your vantage point, given all the different people whom you've counseled over the years, are there a couple of kind of key questions that you see people kind of fail to ask? Or are there kind of oversights that you see people missing that are worth calling out here for the audience?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say liability is probably one of the biggest areas that gives you the most potential risk. So things like, you know, getting into a lawsuit, maybe you start a catering business and you serve some food that makes people sick. You know, if you don't have liability for that, if, if there is a lawsuit that comes into play, you could be on the hook for that uh, potentially 100%, you know, unless you are incorporated and you kind of set up some legal structure that would, would limit your liability. So thinking through what you know what what's the worst case scenario what could go wrong here you know even if you're doing something like writing that might seem very um you know very innocuous and and not subject to any legal issues you know you'd be surprised there's always a situation where somebody may feel like you represented them incorrectly or you know in in a in a slanderous way that you you didn't intend so There are different levels of liability with different types of businesses. If you're driving for Uber, certainly auto liabilities, getting into an accident, hurting somebody, damaging someone's property. These are all the the really scary kind of things that we have to think through. It's not fun to think about all the things that can go wrong. But that's why insurance exists. So there is a plethora of business policies out there. Even if you're working at home, if you are, let's say you've got inventory through a business at home and your property gets damaged and that inventory is damaged, you need to understand that your regular home or renter's insurance would not cover that business inventory. So Understanding that, you know, businesses carry different types of liabilities and that there are different coverages you can purchase to pretty easily shift that risk from yourself over to the insurance company. And if you have questions, certainly talking to somebody about it, it's free. You know, that's the great thing about talking to a lot of brokers and representatives out there. Their advice is is free and it's generally going to be pretty good. You might want to get a second opinion if you hear something that you, you know, raises an eyebrow. Um, but it's their job to inform you and to help you stay protected. So, asking them, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm starting this business. You know, what do I need to stay safe? What are the potential problems that I I may be faced with whether it's cybersecurity or inventory that you're protecting?" or a loss of income due to some type of natural disaster, there's uh, just a lot of different options out there.
2: There is something really kind of, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth having to think through all of these disaster scenarios. But the truth is, you think about them up front, you get your insurance and your protections, and then that sort of earns you the right to not have to think about them so much anymore.
0: Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
1: Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
2: Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod50 for 50% off. So we've talked a little bit about liability insurance. Let's talk bank accounts. And maybe this does or doesn't connect with the question of when do you need to incorporate. But tell us a little bit about like, hey, if maybe an hour a week I'm going to go drive for Uber what do I need to do? Do I, do I need a separate bank account? Do I need to incorporate to do that? One piece of advice that I always give folks that are just getting started is to earn
3: a little income first, you know, before you spend a ton of money on incorporating, which, which can be expensive depending on the state where you live. Um, it's a little different. The, the requirements are different state to state. In most cases, if you are doing something that does not have a whole lot of legal liability, you don't have a partner, you know, you're kind of in something on your own, the main thing that you want to do is earn a little bit of money. You want to prove that, yes, this concept can work. It's going to be a revenue generating activity for me. Once you've earned $10,000 from your entrepreneurial work, that's at the point where I would say, yep, it's definitely time to begin sort of taking yourself a little bit more seriously. And for most people, if they haven't opened a business bank account already, that's a good point to do it. And so what that's going to help you do is simply segregate your personal expenses from your business expenses. And that's key because if you are not tracking that carefully, you may lose some of the potential tax deductions that you have. Now, I'll tell you that I didn't do that for many years because I didn't have that many expenses. My income and and expenses was were pretty pretty simple, pretty streamlined, and I tend to be very detailed about allocating and categorizing expenses that come through my personal bank account. But if you're somebody who is not very meticulous about categorizing expenses, that's when segregating everything with a business bank account um, can really be helpful for you.
2: You know, for anybody who's sort of feeling like, you know, I want to give something on the side a try, but some of the things that Rachel and Laura are talking about feel a little overwhelming, and I don't know that I'm ready to do all that research. What I hear you saying, Laura, is like, go out and give yourself permission to try to make $8,000. Stay under that $10,000 limit in a year, just to experiment and see what it feels like and know that you're you're pretty safe in not having to necessarily incorporate or open a separate bank account and just test the waters a little bit. I think that sounds really liberating. Absolutely. You know the only exception would be if
3: you're getting into something where you do have a lot of legal liability. In that case, you may want to form some type of business structure to give you a layer of protection. So again, sort of going back to that caterer situation where You might have legal liability from day one with the food that you're serving. You know, it could be very beneficial to go ahead and create, let's say, an LLC, which would give you uh, some protection there.
2: I want to ask you, you've now used the word partner a couple of times, and I think you've been using it in the context of some kind of business partner. I'm thinking a little bit about the idea of a life partner. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard from people over the years is, you know, be it... A life partner, a spouse, somebody you choose to share your life with. I've heard people say, you know, I really am so interested in the idea of starting my business, but my partner isn't supportive. My partner is too risk averse. My partner feels like we rely too much on the predictability of my full-time income. And I understand, Laura, this isn't this isn't marriage counseling, but I am curious if you have any maybe pointers that somebody can use in helping to educate a partner, helping to give a partner a bit of comfort around how scary it may not be?
3: Yeah, I, I do think that there are definitely spouses and partners that that feel very different when it comes to risk and, and often opposites attract, right. right? So, you know, I would say really trying to focus on the benefits, you know, what what is this going to gain as a couple and, and how can it gain and, and get you a little bit closer to your financial goals, maybe versus focusing on, on you know, the negatives. I think if you've got enough savings in place, you've got a little bit of, a, of an emergency cushion, you've got a little financial runway to protect you. If things don't go as planned, that can be one way to help sort of satisfy uh, maybe a skeptical partner uh, about the potential and if you're doing a day job, too, you know, at the same time, certainly you've got that uh, you've got that that protection. But if you are thinking about going full time with your venture, one option could be to really think of it more like a, an experiment and saying, you know, I'm going to I'd like to give this six months or 12 months. And see how it goes. And after that kind of trial period, if I don't have the revenue that I think I can, can get or the profit that I think I can, can get from this business, then I will reconsider and I can always go back to work. I can, you know, always jump back into the W-2 world if things don't work out. So, you know, really maybe giving people some options about, how the path can go and and how you can sort of quickly pivot if things are not satisfactory for either of you.
2: That was a great answer. And it reminds me of something that I find myself telling people all the time, because what I hear people saying is, you know, I want to step out and give this thing a try, but if it doesn't work out, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to break back into the full-time world. And I would just say from a career and workplace success perspective, I personally believe that to be a tremendous myth. I think it's really about how you position the experience. I think full-time hiring leaders find it really compelling when somebody has decided to take a risk. And if you do step out and you decide to give a business a try and you give it six, 12 months and it doesn't work out, don't look at it as a failure, look at it as an experiment and something you learned and you weave your story around, here are the skills that I gained. And here's why I'm so excited to bring these back into the full time workplace. And so I think our combined advice here, Laura, is a decision to test out entrepreneurship doesn't have to be permanent.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And I do think that even if you only get, uh, let's say, a year's worth of entrepreneurial work under your belt and you end up leaving for whatever reason, I can guarantee you, you're going to pick up some skills. You're going to meet some new people. You're going to definitely, you know, have some some added value to bring back to to an employer, the next employer. And I do think you're right. Many, many employers are recognizing that, It's a little bit more accepted now to do side work than it was. I mean, when I was getting started a couple decades ago, if you let an employer know that you were doing side work, you could have been fired because they would think you are not being loyal to the company or you've got, you know, you're spending too much time um, on, on other things. But now there's almost an expectation that, you know, folks are, are going to be entrepreneurial when it, when it benefits them.
2: So let's talk a little bit about the person who maybe has been side hustling for a little while, side hustling or gigging or freelancing on the side, whatever they want to call it. And they're interested in going all in, but they're not sure how to know financially when is the right time. And I know you can't answer that in a very direct or specific way, but do you have any kind of guardrails to offer somebody around how to think about knowing when it's time? jump into full-time freelancing or running your own business?
3: Yeah, I do think it depends on what your potential financial risk is. So what I mean by that is, do you have to invest a lot to get started in this business? Or is it something that, you know, you can really just start making money from day one? If you are looking at, um, let's say, even cutting back on your day job or, or leaving the day job, some... Types of of ways to know if you're ready are what do you have in savings? I mean, really, everybody needs emergency savings, but those who plan to rely on business income exclusively definitely perhaps need a little bit more. This is going to depend, of course, on your industry, how stable it is. Whether you have a partner that, who's also earning income, you know, are you a two-breadwinner family or, are, you know, are you the sole provider? Um, all of those things can play into how to know if you're financially ready. But I would say a good place to start is to make sure that you've got at least three months worth of living expenses tucked away in a very safe place like a bank savings and when I say living expenses, I'm not necessarily talking about replacing um, a salary. Think about living expenses as the necessities, the things that you could not go without. So housing, utilities, insurance, uh, maybe medical costs. And in some cases, you know, I know people who have saved up a year's worth of living expenses before going out on their own because they felt like it was super risky so it really does depend, but looking at, you know, do you have some savings in place that makes you feel comfortable? You've got to feel comfortable with that amount. You know, do you have the right insurance in place to protect you from any potential uh, down, you know, downturns or potential disasters that could occur? And also, you know, thinking about are you continuing your financial goals. So are you able to continue saving for retirement? I know a lot of business owners will kind of put that on hold for a little while while they're building their business. And it's a bit dangerous to do that. I would say it's probably better to continue saving, but at a lower amount. So, you know, if you can achieve your goals if you can have some savings, if you can afford the insurance that you need, that's probably a signal that you're, you're definitely ready to launch something new.
2: I have to imagine that as you hear people ask questions and some of the same questions over and over again, there have to be one or two that kind of make you roll your eyes and think, oh, why do people still think this? It, it was never true or it used to be true, but it hasn't been in a long time. I'm curious if anything like that pops out for you.
3: The biggest myth, I think, is that entrepreneurship is easy. I think too many people just think, yeah, this is going to be a breeze. You know, I'm going to be able to travel the world and and work from any internet connection. And while that might be true for some people, I would say in general, it's a lot of hard work, you know, building a business, especially at the beginning. If you're really trying to build clientele, you're trying to, you know, be, be profitable, get your systems in place. So I would say it's not like swapping a nine-to-five job for a business that you own yourself and run yourself. It's likely that you're going to work harder, you're going to work longer hours than you ever did in that nine-to-five job. So that's probably the biggest myth that that comes to mind. I do think that you do have to have a kind of a, a mental strength to stick with it and continue and if that means that you have a day job and build the business on the side, so be it. That can work for, for many people. But if you are, re- you know, if you're mentally, financially ready to go full time, then, you know, I think the rewards can be unbelievable. And, you know, it it just really comes down to having a plan, you know, working that plan, not forgetting about your personal finances
2: while you're building the business. So Laura, as people are reading your book, and I know a lot of people are reading your book, I wonder if there are certain ah ahas or insights that people are experiencing over and over again. And I'm curious what you're hearing from your readers.
3: Yes, surprisingly, the chapter that I wrote or a section that I wrote on productivity has gotten a lot of positive feedback. And that kind of surprised me because it's, you know, it's not a productivity book, right? But I think that for some people, they really are looking for ways to you know, get it all in. How do I do the side job and the W-2 work and, and fit it all in? So I shared some of my personal productivity tips. And for instance, one of them that I use every single day is what I call your energy match. So, matching tasks with your energy level. Let's say you, you know, you get up in the morning and, and you're a morning person and you're just firing on all cylinders and you're just, you're, you feel like you're really focused. That's a great time to do analytical work. It's a great time to do creative work. Um, where you really need to be focused. But if that is not the time of day that you feel well suited for that task, don't try to do it then. Putting it off, procrastinating that task until maybe the evening when, when you feel a little bit more sharp could allow you to do that task in half the time that it's going to take you if you try to force it in the morning. My advice is to really pay attention to how you feel throughout the day, and and for most of us, you'll you'll find a rhythm throughout the day that tends to repeat itself. And just be aware of of when you are feeling sharp, and you know when you're not feeling so sharp. Give yourself a break. Don't try to really force work that you're not suitable to do at that at that moment.
2: Yeah, I think that that's great advice. And you know, as they say, time is money. And so I'm not surprised that you're actually finding such a response to that part of your book. The one piece I would add to that, something that I've learned along the way is that, you know, when I started doing this, I had it in my mind that any window of time less than an hour wasn't, it wasn't useful, it wasn't helpful. And I've really learned that if I can catch a 10-minute break between meetings, there's something productive I can do in that time. Um, Sometimes that productive thing is taking a break if I need it, but there are also things that I can achieve. And so I would say just think more broadly about what productivity means for you. Is there anything, Laura, that I haven't asked you that you feel like is really important for people to take away from this conversation? Well, I think that for folks who are considering getting
3: into business, I, you know, I really would, just would encourage people to try and experiment. I mean, that's really, I think, um, one of the themes of my book is just to to give it a go and sort of have the courage to uh, make a move. I, I see a lot of people who are very reticent to get started because they're so afraid that they're going to do something wrong that they're going to violate some, you know, business law and and the reality is it's more likely that you should get started and then kind of figure things out and put things into place. So don't hold back from a great idea due to a lot of details and 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 sort of overwhelming tasks. I would say just get started, test your idea. So something that I've always lived by is, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing today. So if you're dreaming about that one day, someday business that you want to do, if it's worth doing in the future, why isn't it worth it today?
2: And I think you just hit on what I loved so much about your book. I love that philosophy. Don't be so intimidated. Don't be so afraid. If you have an idea, just experiment and nothing is permanent and nothing is undoable. Laura Adams, thank you so much again for joining me to talk about your book, Money Smart Solopreneur, a personal finance system for freelancers, entrepreneurs, and side hustles. Now, for anyone who's loved this conversation, and I assume it was all of you, you can hear lots more from Laura over at the Money Girl podcast. Laura, thank you again so much. I loved this conversation.
3: Oh, I did too, Rachel. Thank you for having me on.
2: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Laura Adams, host of the Money Girl podcast and author of Money Smart Solopreneur, a personal finance system for freelancers, entrepreneurs, and side hustlers. Follow Modern Mentor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow me on the Modern Mentor podcast page on LinkedIn. Have a question I can answer? Shoot me an email at modernmentor at com, or leave me a voicemail at 201-632-5656. Just let me know if it's okay to use your voice on the show. Modern Mentor is a Quick and Dirty Tips podcast. It's auto-engineered by Dan Farabend, with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our operations and editorial manager is Michelle Margulis. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller. And our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin.